you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. I greet you, I welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am delighted that we are together to worship, to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially on this day, Palm Sunday. I would like to challenge you, I'd like to encourage you, uh, this week, dads and moms, um, family members, if you're um, single, I, I would encourage every one of you this week to take your time and to go, go slow through this week. Uh, I would encourage you from Matthew chapter 21 to Matthew chapter 28, there's eight chapters I would encourage you to read uh, perhaps one of those chapters every day this week on Easter. You can read two days. Uh, One week from today, we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ to go slow through the course of this week. Palm Sunday, you recall, was filled with many people that were singing and shouting, Hosanna. It was many in that same crowd from Sunday that were shouting Hosanna, that were shouting on Thursday and Friday, crucify, to crucify. And, and our hearts are capable of that quick of a turn. Our hearts are capable of that. And so I, I would encourage you to go very slow through the course of this week, although there's busyness and activity and perhaps even travel or family, to guard our hearts from moving that far from the Lord. Very, very important message as we celebrate Passion Week this week. Let's pray together and thank the Lord for his time and ask for guidance as we listen to God's word being taught as we learn together. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for who you are. I'm so grateful, Lord, for your word that has been given to us. Lord, it, it holds such authority. It speaks with such precision and accuracy. And, and I thank you, Lord, that it is alive. That when your word is read, when it is taught, it, it never returns void. So, Father, I would pray right now that as we have opportunity to listen and learn together, that we would hear from you. Father, we thank you for this week that we celebrate. But we also, Lord, pause to quiet our hearts, knowing what, what takes place, what happens. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to send your own son, Jesus to die, to suffer, to bleed for us, to forgive us of our sins, to pay the price that we could not pay. We thank you, Lord, in advance for the fact that we serve a risen Savior. Uh, Lord, I would ask that you would minister to hearts as you see fit. Father, I would ask that you would guard my own lips and words. Father, that I would be careful to only say that which brings glory to the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, for our community. I pray for other men that are standing in pulpits 
and are preaching the truth of the gospel. Encourage them. Father, I, I just pray, Lord, for your help and your guidance right now. Open our minds and hearts to hear you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> my, um, my grandfather, uh, my dad's dad, was killed in the Battle of, of the Bulge um, in Belgium in 1944. My uncle, my mom's oldest brother, was killed in Korea at Heartbreak Ridge in, in 1952. And, and our cousin, Wendy's cousin, Aaron, was killed in Afghanistan in uh, November of 2012. I thought about that, that we have something inside of us, particularly as a, as a nation, that we will send people, men to war, men and women to war, and they will sacrifice themselves, every, every one of those men and many, many, many more, have sacrificed themselves for the freedom of other people. Every one of those countries, in a sense, there were individuals who were trying to take freedoms away. And, and there's, there's countries like us and, and others that will send men into war to say, no, you, you do not do that. There's something inside of us. There's, there's a line that is drawn that we say, what? You simply cannot cross this line, particularly when it comes to taking away our own freedoms. Things, I think, of, of fathers and husbands, how we, we protect our homes. There's, there's certain things that we simply will not allow. It's call me rude all day long. Speak to me rudely. Fine, but, but don't use that tone with my wife. There's a line there, isn't there, men? Slap me all day. Don't you dare touch my daughter. There's something, there's a line. Don't you call me ugly. You don't call my mama ugly. There's just something there. That's what I want to talk about today because there's, there's elements, there's times that we must stand up, that we take a stand for that which we know to be the right thing to do. Today as we venture, we, we are now in chapter 2 in our study in, in Galatians, as we, we, we in a sense venture further into the truth of Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, as we, we dig deeper into this chapter, we're going to see that there are some who want to take the freedom of God's people away. And Paul says, no, no, you do not cross that line. He, he will not stand for it. Paul is at a crucial point in ministry. And there's, there's one or two choices. You can just kind of ignore it and, and quietly hope that things will silence and, and go away. Or you can what? You can stand up and confront what needs to be confronted. And Paul, Paul chooses the latter. He understands that the future of the gospel, that the future of the, the church, the Christian church, there's a lot at stake here. Let me remind you, just kind of, kind of reprime the pump a little bit as far as what's going on. Galatians, this book has been written, this letter has been written to these five churches in the region of Galatia. And Paul begins this letter with this visible 
urgency, not the typical Pauline style of greeting and, 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 and niceties. He introduces himself with the, with the authority as an apostle. And he says, what? I, I am shocked. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in shock that you are so quickly deserting the truth. That you're listening to lies of people that are infiltrating the church, that are trying to present a false gospel, some kind of a, a mixture of what? New Testament grace, but yet obedience or adherence to Old Testament law. And, and Paul says, no, no. You, you cannot believe that. You cannot go that direction. What? What Paul preaches, we know the theme from, from chapter 5 and verse 1. Christ has set us free entirely. Let's, let's pick up where we left off last week. We're in Galatians chapter 2. Our text today will be in the first five verses. Listen to this very carefully. Listen, this is the word of God to you and I this morning. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. Pay close attention to verse 5. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved, protected, I love these two words, for you. There, there's, there's a central theme to these five verses. There's a big idea. I call it the big light bulb of the text, the preaching portion. It comes out of verse 5, and, and it says this, To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment. Why? So the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The New International Version uh, quotes it like this, we did not give in to them for a moment. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message says it like this, we didn't give them the time of day. We were determined to preserve the truth of the message for you. Philip says it like this, we did not give those men an inch. It, it, is, it is very clear. Our text this morning teaches us through the life of the Apostle Paul that there are major doctrinal areas that we do not give in to. There's major doctrinal areas that we don't move from, that we don't give up or walk away from. There's a point, in all honesty, that we as a church, together, collectively, corporately understand we will not budge. Not on the majors. Let me, let me kind of explain what's happening here. It's been 14 years since, since Paul's first visit to Jerusalem. 
For 14 years, Paul has been active. The Holy Spirit has allowed him to be the main proponent, in a sense, the leading voice, the leading advocate, the driving force in taking the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, really to any non-Jewish audience. God has chosen and used Paul greatly. However, as he has been moving about, and we studied this throughout the book of Acts, preaching God's word, planting churches, he is taking almost the entire time criticism. We would say in our, in our terminology today, Paul's taking some heat, particularly from, from Judaizers. These are, are, are so-called Jewish religious leaders who claim to have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, they have been following him around just, just, just constantly pestering him. Bothering him. Kind of like, kind of like buzzing flies. I, in, in Maine, I ministered for a number of years way up north. And when people died throughout the winter, the ground was too frozen to bury them. So you, you had a, a memorial service or a funeral service, you know, January, February, March, but you could never bury the bodies. I don't know what they did with them to the truth. They kept them in a, in a safe place, in a cool place. But when April, this time of the year, came around, the ground began to soften enough so, so they would then dig all the graves and we would have many burials in the month of April. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in northern Maine in April, but there's another thing that happens, and it's called black fly season. And there have been many times, I recall very distinctly, where I'm, I'm trying to have this, this special moment with the family that has gathered and, and, and just literally surrounded by this cloud of black flies that are flying all over you, buzzing and bothering you, and you're trying to read and you can't even see things. You don't want to be rude. I kind of think of the Judaizers like that. They're just, just a cloud of just these buzzing annoyances, these pests. That's what, that's what they're doing to Paul in his ministry. Paul is so excited that there's a message of, of grace that's extended to the truth of the gospel. And, and what? It is continuing to grow. It is, it is, the church is being extended into the Gentile community. But his excitement at times, and particularly now in Galatians, is growing into frustration. You could almost say even beyond frustration, almost to a place we would say that, that he's that he's angry. There is a place for righteous indignation or holy anger. And this is really what is happening here. Paul is, is frustrated. He's, he's upset because people are trying to blend. They're trying to add to the truth of the gospel. And it's wrong. But rather than run... Rather than take the easy way, no one likes to confront. Confrontation is, is, is difficult, is hard. Someone may actually be upset with me if I confront them with the truth. Instead of running, Paul, Paul goes right at it. Where else? Where, where better to go than the very hotbed of Judaism itself? He goes where? He goes to Jerusalem. Directly, his strategy is very wise and we can learn from him. We can learn from Paul this morning. He teaches us first and foremost, here it is, point number one, to be obedient to the word of God. First and foremost, Paul teaches us, you and I, 
from verse 2 are to be obedient to the Word of God. Paul verifies he didn't choose to go up to Jerusalem on his own. Well, how do I solve this problem? Sitting around, kind of scratching his head, no. It says, I went up because of a, what, a revelation. God revealed himself directly to Paul and gave him instructions. He went to Jerusalem because God told him to go to Jerusalem. Remember, Paul, unlike you and I today, did not have the completed word of God. Paul did not have the Bible. The way that we know it today. In the position of what? The authority of an apostle. Galatians chapter 1 verse 1 establishes that. We know that God spoke to him directly as an apostle and gave him instruction. I don't know about you, but I begin to ask the questions. Well, was it an audible word? Was he, was he walking through the desert and he heard a booming voice from heaven? We have, we have no idea. Was it in a, in a dream? We have no idea. Was it written like, like words in a sky? We have no idea. There are questions we can ask when we get to heaven. All we know is that God gave very specific instruction to Paul. I want you to go to Jerusalem. And guess what? Paul obeyed. Just like you and I today have what? We have an authority. God actually reveals himself to us through what? First and foremost, primarily through the Word of God. And just like Paul obeyed, when God's Word speaks to us, what, what, what do you and I have a responsibility to do without question? You know, God, Jerusalem is really not that pleasant of a place this time of the year. You know, the prices are really expensive in Jerusalem, and I don't know if I can afford to travel to Jerusalem. No, no. When God's word speaks to us, God can use a, a, a man or a woman to speak to you in, in counsel. God can use a, a pastor or a, or a preacher or evangelist to speak to you, but it's going to, it must match the authority of God's words. When we hear that, we are to obey. Note carefully what happens. Paul went to Jerusalem, it says, and he set before them. I love this, that there's even instruction, though privately, before those who seemed influential. They, they sat together and they, they, they spoke of the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, the message that I've been preaching in order to make sure that I was not or I had not run in vain. Paul is so careful to make sure every single part of his life is purposeful. So much of what we do simply does not matter a thousand years from now. Paul was so every step. So what he does is that he sits, he goes directly to his brothers in Christ, his fellow apostles who have been teaching and ministering. They have been primarily in a Jewish setting and he met privately with them to consult, to confer, to discuss and deliberate what, 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 what the message of the gospel was. And God gave Paul wisdom to meet with these men of reputation um, privately, so that as they met together, they could agree and they could present a unified front before they move into the next setting, which is more of a, a public gathering. So it begins with what <clears throat> Paul, who brings with him, it says, Barnabas, his, his traveling companion, his, his brother in the Lord, and also he brings with him Titus, who is a Gentile convert who was a Greek 
And so it's Paul, Barnabas, and Titus, and he sits and he meets. It says, and this, we see this in the latter part of Galatians chapter 1, that they meet with Peter, John, and James. This is not James the Apostle. If you remember, he was already dead. He was executed. Acts chapter 12 records that. So this is James, the brother of Jesus, the one who wrote the book of James. This meeting is between Paul and these few select men. It has come to be known as the Jerusalem Council. If you remember in the, in, in the study that we had in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15 speaks in great detail. You can read that specifically again. And Paul is obedient to the word of God. He sits and he meets with his brothers and they confer on the elements of the truth of the gospel. The second thing Paul does is that he displays the grace of God. The second thing you and I need to do every single day is to display the grace of God. They move from this private kind of setting amongst the, the, the few leaders of the church. And then he goes into this public forum where we know the Judaizers are going to be present. This is when Paul takes his next step very strategically. And basically what Paul does is he, he presents an individual. And as he presents this individual, he said, gentlemen, I have brought to you a living object lesson. Here is a man. He is a living, breathing example that tells you the law is dead. Basically, he kind of pushes Titus to the front and he says, well, his name is Titus. It says specifically, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. In essence, Paul is saying this. He is putting one individual to the forefront. To, to be a witness before all the law-loving Judaizers are the, the false brothers. New American Standard uses the, the term sham Christians. Kind of like fake Christians, if there's such a thing, who snuck into the churches to worm out the, the, the truth of the gospel, says that they secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out the liberty which we have in Christ. And Paul presents Titus to basically, basically say, you know what, you people, you are all wrong, because here's a young man, his name is Titus, he's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, he is alive and well. He is maturing. He is vibrant for the Lord. He is an encouragement to others. He, he is maturing. He is a faithful follower of Christ. Guess what? He is headed to heaven. And because he's a Greek and he was not circumcised, he has not fulfilled the law entirely. Paul is, is, is literally revealing that there is what? There is the work and the picture of God's grace in an individual's life, apart from the law. You understand what we mean by that? Paul gives this much needed and very powerful object lesson, this proclamation. And then what does he do? He, he makes this statement. Thirdly, he defends the truth of God, just like you and I need to do. Paul defends the truth of God. To them, we did not yield in submission for a moment that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. It is quite easy to sense the seriousness of the matter. Paul was faced with a decision to confront, and inevitably he is going to cause an uproar. He's going to upset people. Or what? He could ignore it. And just, just silently hope that everything kind of dissipates quietly and, and, and goes away. 
Sadly, today we live in a society that says, what well, we compromise at every cost. Let's never upset anyone. And so people give in constantly. They, they begin to give in first and foremost with the truth of God's word. Well, well, we don't really know for sure if it's the authority of God's word. And people begin to cave in that area. Easy thing to do is just compromise and go and, and wash down the river with everyone else. No, that's not going to happen. Paul says we're not going to succumb to this bondage of legalism. Instead, he takes a granite like stand. You realize that the situation that Paul faces here, <clears throat> he depicts a problem that in one form or another, every single one of us are going to face. Do you realize that every single one of us, if you hold to the truth of this gospel of Jesus Christ, you are going to face this at one turn or another. So I believe in order to be proactive, in order to be prepared as we continue to fulfill the vision that God has given to us to transform this community through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to understand what point in controversy is, is it going to demand us to stand up with an absolute unyielding resistance. What point is it that we're going to have to stand up to that which we know to be right? That which we are certain is truth. It, it, was, a, it was an absolute delight to be at a conference this week in, in Louisville with some brothers in the Lord and, and listening to all the young guys talk theology. It was just exciting and, and to learn and grow more. And, and with a nine-hour van ride there and nine-hour van ride back, I, I, I've repeatedly asked guys, what, what, what are the basics? What, what, do we, what do we stand on? What is rock solid? And I had my notes. They're not preparing to preach today. I had to prepare to preach today. So I asked them, you're helping me. And, and everywhere, everywhere, it comes first and foremost, we have to agree on this. This is the inerrant, infallible, absolute authority of God's word, first and foremost. This is what we do not budge on. Anyone tells you anything else, why? and they just cross the line. I'm sorry, we're not going there. First and foremost. Well, what else? What else is the absolute majors? The, the, the deity of Christ, the full, the full fact that, that God was what, completely man, and yet Jesus was completely God's. We don't budge on that. It is an absolute foundational doctrine. Anyone tries to tell you, well, he's just a good man and he was a... No, no, that's wrong. You don't cross that line. That what? Justification happens by grace through faith. Salvation happens by grace through faith, not of works. We don't budge on that. We don't move on that. The Trinity. You don't budge on that. A literal heaven and a literal hell. If someone says, well, no, actually, love wins in the end, and everyone ultimately makes it, no, no. I like the way that Mueller said it in some of his writing. He said, to deny any one of those basics, to deny any one of those basics is to deny Christianity itself. You do not budge on those. There are other ones that obviously come into our what world, into our spectrum, that we do not budge on clearly on the authority of God's word. Other ones that we are very vocal about, that we're going to speak the truth in this community. One is the sanctity of life. Life begins at conception. 
And we protect that. The other one is the sacredness of marriage between a man and a woman alone. And we're not afraid to speak into that. So necessary for today. Another one on, in, in my heart clearly is a literal, tra- literal creation. In six 24-hour days, evening and morning were the first day God created everything. We don't budge on those things. That's what God's Word tells us. This is the absolute authority. This is where what? The line is drawn. You simply do not cross that. And we are bold to stand up and speak in any setting. So I want to ask you, will you stand unmoved? Regardless of what you hear today, unmoved. Particularly in the lesson that we're reminded of today that salvation is by grace. I I would hope so. Will will you defend it? Will you shout it from the rooftops? And we can't mix in. We can't mix and sift bits and pieces. Grace and good works together in order for there to be salvation. No, good works come as a result of our salvation. Fourthly and finally, just like Paul gives to this, this this marvelous picture of how we are to move forward. He also shares with us lastly that we're to be concerned for the people of God. I love these two words, two words in the end of verse 5. It says that, that what? That we did not yield in submission even for a moment that the truth that the gospel might be preserved. What? For you. Paul, Paul's saying there's a concern. We have to have a concern for other people. Paul shows us a need that we need to love other people. And we love other people by standing up and telling the truth, to speak the truth. I, I'm getting so tired with hearing over and over and over again that, that everything is relative. There's no absolute, that there's all a wash in the end. No, that's not the truth. We hold on to the infallible in inerrant word of God. I'm actually, I'm, I'm almost amazed at times that there's still Christians that actually think that they, that they have to, to believe man-made rules in order to win a place in the sight of a holy God. You and I need to be reminded, what does Isaiah say in Isaiah chapter 64? Your righteousness, my, my righteousness, are as filthy rags. The best that we can come up with on our own is like a dirty rag in the present of God. Christians pride themselves on, on what? On, on, on appearance and, and, and attendance and adherence. And the Lord says repeatedly, I want your hearts, I want your hearts to be free in Christ. Not chained in bondage. And, and you know, in all honesty, as, as I have grown, Lord willing, slowly, growing slowly wise over the years, hopefully maturing slowly. I remember when I had a, a, a major wake-up call on this. You see, I, I was not personally verse growing up. I, I was not as familiar with what we would call as, as the non-traditional. It was, it was pretty rigid in, in some, some respects. I remember a time, it was years ago, I want to say around 97, 98, I was actually at, at a pastor's conference in Chicago, and I met a group of men from Akron, Ohio. I don't know. First, right there, I was like, I don't know, guys. Ohio? Ohio. And I remember as, as, I, as I was introduced personally to a group of these guys, 
And it was, their, it was first and foremost, and just to, to tell you how judgmental and how legalistic, I, I was disturbed by the very appearance. Leather jackets, ponytails, tattoos, piercings. There was a bunch of them on, on motorcycles. I don't even like motorcycles. And they called themselves... Bikers for Jesus. And I thought, yeah, right. Sure. Your, your hair is touching your collar. I don't know how you can go to heaven if your hair is touching your collar. And I remember, in all honesty, I looked at them and I was like, I just, I just don't know. I just don't know. This doesn't feel right. And, and I literally had the chance to sit down at the table and I ate with him. And I listened to the stories. Mm. How, how most of them received the tattoos while they were in prison. And now they are out. And, and they are being used to this very day. There's still a group called Bikers for Jesus in Akron, Ohio. And they are being used to communicate the truth of the gospel. They, 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 they don't budge. Okay, they, they, they teach this is the absolute infallible authority of God's word. They don't budge on the deity of Christ. They are my brothers in Christ. And I was so humbled. I was, I was humiliated that, that I, I looked at them and I judged them. And I thought, how, how if they look different than I know? That's God's grace. That's God's grace. That's what you and I have to remember as we, as we move forward for the gospel. I am so excited what God is doing through this body, through you, through your obedience. But as we move forward, as we march in cadence, as we march what unified, just like Paul was so concerned to have what, we have to have unity together before we head out there. We have to understand that these areas right here, it, it, is, it is God's love for all of mankind. It is the message of the cross of Christ and repentance from sin that offers hope and forgiveness and life for all of eternity. And you and I have to be reminded, I have to regularly be reminded that God's grace is not just offered to, 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 to the few that are, that are pretty and polite. We have to remember that. God's grace continues to, to move forward. The gospel will always move forward. God's grace is extended to, to, to the radical Muslim that has a, a bomb strapped to his body. God's grace is extended to that person. God's grace is extended to the pedophile that is doing time in prison. That we would say that's, that's the worst of the absolute worst. God's grace is extended to the sex addict, to the heroin addict, to the homosexual. God's grace is extended to the unfaithful husband, to the cheating wife, the rebellious, hard-nosed teenager that just is angry with everyone, hates life. God's grace is extended to them. You and I have to remember what we're called to do. We're to speak, we're to speak the truth. We, we, we do not, we do not judge, 
hearts. We cannot judge hearts. We love people. And we speak the truth. And we allow the Holy Spirit to do what He does. Draw those unto Himself. May we be faithful at holding to the truth of God's Word at all costs. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for who You are. Thank You for the Word You've given to us. Help us, Lord, to to share the truth of the Gospel in a way, Lord, that You are glorified. We ask this in His name. Amen.